0: So I think a smaller deal, kind of getting your feet wet, and you're going to learn a lot just by doing it. You can't, you know, ebook your way to success here.
1: Buying and selling businesses just got a lot easier. Welcome to the Web Equity Show, where thousands of successful entrepreneurs go to learn about buying, growing, and selling online businesses. Your hosts, Justin Cook and Ace Chapman, share their real-life advice, examples, and expert interviews to help you build and grow your own online portfolio. Now to your hosts, Justin and Ace. Welcome to the
0: Web Equity Show. This is episode number 12. I'm your host, Justin Cook. I'm here with my co-host, Ace Chapman, my partner in crime only. What's going on, Ace? How you doing, buddy?
2: What is up, man? It wasn't too long ago. We were hanging out in Asia. I had to make a little detour, come back, man, and now I'm headed back to Asia again. So I'm getting a lot of miles. It's fun.
0: Dude, you totally flaked out on me, man. We're in Manila. We're having fun. We're doing lunch and dinner. We're doing drinks. And then you just drop it on me. You're like, man, I'm going back to New York. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you had a little a little thing, a little deal you had to go do, and now you're in uh, Chattanooga. Then you're coming back out to. Uh, we're gonna meet up in Bangkok. So be nice to yep. be together again. We'll you know do some interviews. We're gonna talk to some really interesting people out here in Asia. There's a big conference we're going to next week called the Dynamite Circle. You know, Bangkok event. So will be a couple hundred people out there. You know, location dependent mm-hmm. entrepreneurs, website owners, website buyers, website sellers, investors. So it'd be really interesting to talk to them. Yeah, man. I don't know. I'm a little hurt. You just took off back for the U.S., man. You we had you in Asia. We had you so close, and then you <laughs> took off. Today, man, we're talking about the mini mogul business model. So you know, we get questions about this a lot. Like, what does a professional in our industry look like? And you know, we do quite a few deals with industry professionals. The reason is, is because they come back and buy and sell deals regularly, right? Like, hey, so you're an industry professional, and there are others, buyers and sellers portfolio owners that are in that position we want to kind of like lay out what that looks like what it feels like what the different types are and we thought that'd be interesting
2: yeah and it's something i think when people are getting into this space first of all it's just shocking that it exists for most folks you know i talk to people all the time it's like man i wish i would have known and even people that are pretty big in the whole internet world and this idea of buying that this has never crossed their mind. And so the next question often becomes, well, who are the people that are professionals in, in this space and have been doing it? And what are those examples? And it is interesting because a lot of them don't make a big fuss about it. It's not huge internet launches and all of that. And we'll talk about why.
0: Yeah, a whole bunch of people you know, that aren't public are just kind of like silently behind the scenes kind of doing their deals, right? And that's probably the most common. So for everyone that has a blog and a podcast and likes to, you know, grandstand guys like us, I guess, (laughs) for all of us, like there's a bunch of people that are just doing deals in the background. And so we want to kind of highlight, you know, their positions and kind of what they're doing and how they do business with us, how they buy sites from us and how you work with those people yourself, Ace, and how you turn. I mean, you work with buyers to kind of become those people. So you're kind of on the front lines in terms of, you know, building industry professionals, people that are buying and selling, yep. you know, businesses on a regular basis. So I think that's kind of cool. We're going to dig through your, you know, roll up strategy. We're going to talk about the website builders, the portfolio owners, and, and even the flippers, the people that are buying and selling. And, you know, there are pros and cons to each of these. And we're going to kind of get into that, buddy. Hey, before we do, let's talk some listener love. we got a new five-star iTunes review, buddy.
2: Yeah, five stars. You know, I get excited every time we get one of these things. It's new to me. So it's like, this is pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> it fires me up too, and, you know it's just a sign that people will give a shit. It's just really cool, right? So, guy says, uh, yeah. very helpful and insightful. His name is G R J V. Don't know what that is. As expected from these two, a great show where you learn quite a bit about selling your website and plenty as a buyer as well. Keep it up, guys. Well, thanks, man. Thanks so much for the review on Twitter. We got Hank said at Empire Flippers would love a podcast or blog post on how Apple's ad block move might impact the AdSense sites you broker. Will it matter? I think the truth is it's going to matter, but it's not a huge concern of mine. We don't do all ads and sites, number one. And then for this ad block problem, it's not going to affect everyone. You know, it's a portion of a portion of an audience. And so, you know, I see some publishers concerned about it. I see some talk about it. But so far, it just hasn't seemed to be, you know, a big problem. And it just hasn't, you know, I haven't seen like a ton of earnings decrease because of what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah, I think this will be a small kind of blip. I mean, it's. There are so many ways to monetize your site, even for the folks that this is going to affect it should a majority of cases be uh, still a small portion of even that. And so I don't think it's going to be one of those huge things, but we see this happen quite a bit. I like to let things shake out because there's always this preemptive stress and worry when people announce things like this. And sometimes it's better just to let it shake out and see
0: what happens. Yeah, you'll get this with the Google updates. You'll get this with Amazon changing their policies and their monetization methods. And obviously, we're getting this with the ad block stuff. And, you know, we'll see. As an industry, I don't think it's a huge worry. I don't think it's even a big worry. Now, I'd say that there are going to be some individuals, some site owners that probably take a hit. Some of them may be a, a slightly big hit. Uh, but I don't think it's a big deal industry wide. We have another question from Ben Perry. He said, I've reviewed quite a few deals, including a couple currently on the table, where there's a long earning history, but the valuation is based on the past six months where the earnings were exceptionally high. As a buyer, I love long earning history, but basing the price on a recent surge largely kills the assurance of earnings that have a long or that a long earning history conveys. And he wants to know, you know, how and why we've arrived at six months as a standard time frame for pricing? I think it's a really good question, Ben. The thing is, is that you have to have some kind of framework you're working with, right? So let's say, for example, that the site has been around four or five years, and it's gone through, let's say, a major jump in the last, you know, 12 months, 18 months, and it continues to climb. So, you know, basing it on a full 12 months of history, basing in terms of like basing the price on a multiple of the last 12 months history is kind of unfair to the seller, especially if that site's growing significantly. And so to the seller's benefit, we want to make it on a shorter time frame. But the same thing goes if the site's in decline, right? You probably, as a buyer, you don't want to base it on 12 months. If the last four to six months have been a lot worse, you're going to want to base it on that shorter time frame. The second, so that's the first thing, is that you want to you know, kind of track trends, and the best way to do that is on a shorter time frame, even if you have all the history there for you to review. The second thing I'll mention is that any pricing strategy or valuation strategy is it's all relative right so in my opinion a framework used to discuss price so we have a particular valuation method we're using six months for example and you come in as a buyer and you said hey i don't like six months i'm going to do my own valuation on this And I look at 12 months, right? And I'm looking at a 12-month history. But the multiple you're selling it for or the price is still in a multiple that's good for me. So we can do business. And you can get caught, like, arguing about, like, how long it should be valued. But as long as the multiple and everything still works out, that's great. If it doesn't, then you're going to have to make an offer and then present your data based on 12 months of history and make your case, right? So it's an easy way to, like, work with a seller and discuss like what the valuation should be in a framework rather than just you know pissing them off and giving them some low ball offer right so if you can say it's 12 months and here's my multiple and here's my reasoning for the multiple like they're less likely to be defensive and i'd say definitely in the five and you know low to mid six figure range sellers get a little testy they're a little they're proud of their sites they're happy with their sites and they you know if you come in with a lower offer you, you got to justify it otherwise they get a little upset <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think there are two points about that. Number one is hey, you're free to make whatever offer you want.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: But the other is there has to be some kind of starting point. And there are just arguments that things on both sides that can easily be argued as to why it makes sense for somebody to do to look at it as you know the most recent six months for the buyer it's safe for you because if 12 months ago they were killing it three months ago they weren't that it can balance it out and then for the seller are benefits where hey if they've had this 12 month trajectory that's growing that makes more sense for them as well
0: yeah i mean you don't want to do on either side you don't want to be basing based on projections at least at this level right yeah you're talking billion dollar companies sure great and for early stage startups, sure, great. But for this, these cash flow generating sites, you don't want to be talking about, you know, possibilities and projections and that kind of thing. So, you know, using a shorter time frame is, you know, a way to get a more accurate picture of what it's doing today. I think that's helpful. Second question, same guy. He's wanting to know, do you know of any consultants who would give me a solid third-party opinion of the deals I'm considering? Not a prepackaged solution like Centurica, but just a one-off consulting from someone who knows these deals cold. For anyone who doesn't know, Centurica offers like a third-party report. It's kind of generic, but it does actually dig into the details on the specific site and gives you kind of a report. But it's not the same as like a consultant coming in. I'll tell you, you know, in terms of like having a consultant come in and give you their estimation on a deal bin, it's not common. And the reason is because most of the people that have that skill set are doing deals themselves. So, you know, they wouldn't bother – Reviewing yours, they'd rather just work on their own deals. Ace is, I'd say, the exception to the rule. He's actually acts as a buyer's agent and works with people in, you know, reviewing deals and making sure they're good to go and giving people some tips on what they should do. But you're not common, Ace. I think that role will be more common in a few years, but you're kind of, uh, yeah. yeah, you're on the bleeding edge there. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, even for me, I came from doing this with offline businesses. And, you know, I'd already been doing it for a while and then started to do some internet-based deals. But for the average person that's doing deals, I had already been doing deals for about 10 years and reached the point where it's like, you know, I'd love to invest in other people going out and doing deals. And that was kind of the birthplace of this whole thing. So it's tougher because in the internet space alone, it's, pretty neat i mean all this stuff is new so there are a lot of guys that are out there figuring it out and making some things happen and it's also exciting that you know we're creating some of those people that are going out and doing deals up probably one of the neatest moments for me was looking through some forum where they had this list of some of the people that are in the space and have done these kind of things and most of them are offline like dan pena who you had on your show is awesome dude you know, there's Mike yeah. Warren who who does some offline stuff and then it was me and then it was one of my students <laughs> yeah. was number four. So I was like, OK, like that's pretty cool. So, yeah, that's the goal is that we are creating the people that will be in those positions over time.
0: You wouldn't just get on the phone with someone and said, hey, can I just talk to you or can I walk through this deal with you? That's not something you do, right? Like you have people that are part of a program that you work with and if they're not in the program, yeah. they don't do the deal. Yeah. OK.
2: Yeah. Because and the main reason is you have to have the foundation of knowledge. And cause I start I've done that a little bit, and you just end up having to go all the way back to the basis. Make sure you're on the same page, because there's so many assumptions. So yeah, we'd like to take people through the whole process. We're both on the same page, you know, and then we can really talk about deals.
0: Yeah. It helps when you're working on the same framework and you're speaking the same language. Cause it just makes just that communication, like understanding it a hell of a lot easier in business. So, We've got another question. Chris Dismuke asks I've been following along with your podcast recently. And it really helped me in my journey from a retail equity investor with minor web and tech experience to a full fledged web investor, generating excellent cash flow from my websites. Cool, Chris. So you're one of the guys we're actually talking about, an industry professional today. But with a couple of my web properties, I'm getting to the point where my return on my time is just no longer attractive for me. I've outgrown the site. I've never sold a website before, but I'm considering doing so. Do you have any resources about the tax implications of buying and selling websites? For example, what if I bought a website in January for $25,000 and plan to sell soon with an expected sale price of $50,000? Do I get taxed on the gain only like stocks or do I not get to deduct the purchase price off the web property? It's a great question, Chris. We're actually going to have an accountant on the show Soon we're gonna make sure to discuss that question. I actually had an accountant over on the Empire Flippers podcast where we talked about that a little bit, and I'll link to that in the show notes. But we're gonna have someone on here soon that will get into that for you. My understanding is, and you know, this is all I'm not an accountant, blah blah blah. Uh, you know, I'm giving my uh, my warning here. But my understanding is, is that if you buy in the same year and you sell in the same year, then your tax on the gains only. So you buy for twenty five, sell for fifty, your tax on the twenty five thousand. That's my understanding. Ace, same for you.
2: Yep, that is my understanding. And I also am not an accountant.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no advice, man. No legal advice, no tax advice. Got another question from Jim. Last one says, Hey guys, been enjoying your podcast. Was wondering if you could share some tips for beginner looking to get started in the online business space. In addition, Justin, you mentioned in Episode 8 that you were raising some money for a venture. I may be interested in the opportunity. If it's still available, feel free to send me some details. Keep up the great work, guys. Well, thanks, Jim, so much. I can tell you we don't have a podcast that I think is for brand new people like that are really, really new. I think some of our earlier episodes, the Web Equity Show, would be good to listen to. But Ace and I were talking about this right before the show, and we said – we're going to do an episode here in the near future that is for people that are brand new. I think one of the problems is because we're both in the industry, we're doing you know deals regularly. And so we just, we I think even on this show, as we start to use lingo or start to talk about it as if you already understand. And I think maybe we should break it down a little more and we'll do that in a future episode. The other thing in terms of raising money for our investor program, we're not. That's shut off or that's closed up. We're currently... Purchasing the sites and getting ready to start, you know, growing them out and, and building them out, and we'll be tracking the results over at Empire Flippers. If we open it up, it'll be because that this first, you know, bid has been successful, and it wouldn't be until Q1 or Q2 of 2016. So we'll keep you informed on what's going on there. All right, uh, Ace, what do you think, man? Anything else for Jim? You got? No, I do
2: feel like the show has been for more of the intermediate people. As opposed to the beginners and yeah, I'd be excited to get back to the basics. I think the neat thing for us will be that this material will be out there for anybody who just at the very beginning, they're thinking about this stuff and even some of the conceptual types of ideas around why. You know, the why of going out and doing this. So I'm excited to jump into some of the basics.
0: Yeah, man, it would be good. And before we get into this week's show, I'll just kind of an admin note or a, uh, a point of note. We talked about we're going to do this kind of like beginner show. We're going to have that and be able to share that with people. We're also talking about breaking this show up into seasons. So we're talking about having season two potentially be a buyer season. And we go from thinking about potentially buying a site all the way through the purchase and growing the site out. And so every episode of Season 2 would be focused on helping you buy the site from thinking about it all the way through the sale and actually growing the site out. So I think that would be a fun way to do it. We could make Season 3 a sales process. And I think it will be a great resource we can point people to. Uh, when they're looking to buy a site when they're looking to sell a site and and we'll have all of our best tips and tricks in there i think it'll be really fun so we're definitely we've got more episodes lined up we're going to continue with the show for now but we'll probably close it off at some point and open up a season two where we kind of detail that process all right man you ready to get into it let's do it Today we're talking the mini mogul business model. And this is actually something that you and I discussed on the Empire podcast quite a while back, and I thought it'd be fun to do on the web equity show as well. And you know, the truth is, Ace, you know, we have a lot of buyers that come to us that'll buy, you know, one business, maybe two businesses ever. But a full almost fifty percent, not quite, but almost half of our buyers are repeat buyers, meaning they're buying multiple businesses over the course of several years. And so we're gonna dig into that a little bit today.
2: Yeah, I've found that a lot of times people come in, they're thinking, OK, I'm going to buy a business and I'm going to run that business and maybe one day I'll sell it. But I think once you get in and you buy that first business, I think it's really the Internet businesses that lend themselves towards owning multiple. I've used this strategy offline and it can get complicated. I mean, you got licensing and employees and just a lot of responsibility and things to deal with. With internet businesses, it's a lot easier to
0: use some of these mini mogul strategies. Do you think you can diversify a lot better online? Because like, you know, you could have an e-commerce business online, you could have a lead generation business online, and it's still kind of, it all works together. If you tried to have a car wash and then a nail salon and a dental like that's just difficult right it's difficult with offline business
2: yeah well and you've got all these different neat Types of diversification you know there's traffic diversification, so you know one deal may be organic traffic, another may be adWords generator PPC traffic, another is social media, and then you have the diversification of where the money's coming from, and so you can build some really neat portfolios beyond just on a nail salon and then over here I own a car wash which are in different industries and different economic cycles and All those things. The other thing that I love is what you guys do at Empire Flippers, which is looking at the type of deal... And kind of describing the person that's going to be the right fit for that deal. So you guys have things like the newbie norms or this deal is going to be great for the lifestyle Larry's and, and you can apply that kind of thing to building your portfolio as well.
0: Yeah. Personifying kind of the profiles was amazing hit over on our show. Like people loved it. Like they're like, I'm totally a newbie norms, but I want to be a portfolio Paul. And it was, it was cool to see like, you know, such a great reaction to the, personification, I think it helped people kind of understand the different profiles and kind of where they fit in and, you know, who they are kind of in the, you know, what they want to be in terms of, you know, buying and selling online businesses. And and today we wanted to to kind of cover, you know, some of the options in terms of the buying and selling profiles and the types of people that are doing this and looking to build online empires. And we're going to cover some of the pros and cons of the different strategies. And you can kind of determine whether it's a good fit or not for you.
2: So let's jump into the first one. I call this one the roll up strategy. So for those who want to build their empire over time, they're not in a rush. You know, they want to get used to buying their first deal. Maybe they've never owned an internet business before. This is a strategy where you can buy that single business, get comfortable with it and then use the income from that business to start to take over some other businesses. Maybe they're strategic buys, or maybe they're like what we discussed, some diversification buys, but you're setting aside the income from that business, then eventually it builds up and you go and buy another.
0: One of the things that this is kind of like a stepping stone strategy, right? So you're stepping on one, you step to the next, you step to the next, you can kind of start to build out an empire that way. And I, I like this because it can be, great for beginners, right? They want to get their feet wet. They want to buy an online business, but taking over 10 of them at once might be a bit much. And so they can kind of stick to things that they're interesting, interested in or that they're kind of familiar with. And as they get used to running that online business and you know, make sure it's a fit and they start to you know build people in process in that business, they can then leverage that people in process into other deals. It's also, I mean you're going to need some capital to get started but you know like you said you can roll in some of the cash and the profits from that first business into the second one and that's how you can start reaching up you know business after business
2: so i feel like there are a couple benefits like you mentioned number 1 the buyer who has that more long term vision They don't have to immediately go out and buy either one large business because, I mean, that can be a little terrifying as well. You mentioned buying 10 at once, but even buying the one business and you're using all of your capital to buy that single business, that can be a tough first step for people who are, you know, looking to replace their income, but they don't want to take a tremendous amount of risk. And so this gives that person the opportunity to dip their toe in the water, make sure that the business and the type of business that they end up buying is even the right fit and get them used to buying and owning an internet business and then eventually start to buy some others and knowing that when you buy Buy this type of business. You want to make sure that you're not stretching yourself, not only not stretching yourself financially, but you got to make sure you're not stretching yourself time wise. And so buying the right business here, if you're going to do this roll up strategy, is really crucial.
0: Yeah, this also avoids, I think, the risks that come, uh, you know, with using other people's money, right? Because that's a riskier strategy. So that your kind of first go round, you may not want to be borrowing from other investors to get this deal going. First off, it might be difficult to raise that money if this is your first go round. But also, even if you're able to, like putting their money at risk on kind of your first venture might be a bit rough. With this strategy, you can buy kind of a smaller deal and, you know, kind of build it up over time. One of the problems with this strategy, though, is that First off, you're going to have to have some capital upfront, and then you're going to have to put that capital away in that first business. So, you know, you could have been using it elsewhere or on something else, and that's going to that capital's going to be locked up. But not only is that capital going to be locked up. The profits from that first business are going to be locked up. So if you're thinking, you know, hey, I'm gonna buy this first business or second business and then go chill on a beach in Bali and live on the profits, that's not gonna happen with the strategy because you're having to reinvest all those profits. So this works best, I think, when someone has, you know, regular income either from their offline or other online business or their job or whatever, and they're able to kind of do this on the side until it hits, you know, such a critical mass that, you know, they're happy with their empire and they're ready to take it on full time.
2: One of the other things to keep in mind here is the biggest benefit to doing these types of deals is going out and buying a business where there's some kind of strategic angle that you can take. So if you can get not just a great multiple, you buy, you go out and you buy the business at two multiple, two and a half multiple, that's great. You're going to get an amazing return. But if by virtue of maybe the traffic that you're already getting or the database of customers that you already have in your current business, you're able to do a promotion, increase the income, and decrease that multiple to one, one and a half, that's where this strategy becomes really powerful.
0: Yeah, I think stepping up from one business to another in totally different industries, that's one way to do it. But I think a pretty strong way to do it is to buy one, let's say you buy a cat furniture e-commerce site, right? And then next you buy a cat treat site, right? Another e-commerce site or something or dog related site. Now you have a pet site that you can add to it. And so if you stay in that niche, you can like cross promote everything. You have you know additional products you can offer via email marketing to the other customers, and you kind of put those customers together. And, you know, those three, four, five sites you end up owning in kind of a very similar niche worth a lot more together than they were individually. And it's a way for you to kind of roll up those sites into a larger, more valuable asset long term. All right, man. So let's talk about the second strategy, which is the portfolio builder investor. And really, there are two ways that portfolio builders do deals, right? The first is, you know, these investors buy passive deals and manage them themselves. They take them over themselves or they hire people, put people in place to run those businesses for them. And we have a lot of buyers that are in this situation. So they're looking for Either more passive businesses, which, you know, everyone's looking for those, or they have people and processes in place and they can take the ones that require some work because they simply, you know, turn their team onto their new business, work their magic, and then buy the next one and the next one and the next one. They build their empire that way. The other way people can do it is they invest in deals that another owner runs. So, you know, they are the investor and they are, you know, getting 60%, 50%, 70% of the deal. The other person is getting a much smaller piece, but they're not putting in as much money or or no money at all. But they're the ones that are going to actually operate the business.
2: So for the portfolio investor, there are a couple big priorities. Number one is diversification, which we talked a little bit about in the roll up. But in a lot of cases, they're buying the businesses pretty quickly. So they've got a certain amount of capital. They're not waiting on the income from that first business to buy the next but they want to have a diversified portfolio. The second most important thing is the thing that Warren Buffett always talks about is preservation of capital. And so those two really go hand in hand. But one of the things that I like about this strategy is when you're doing this purchases and acquisitions from the standpoint of an investor, and it's not the person that's doing the roll up to just replace their income. You can reinvest that money that comes in on a monthly basis. So you build this portfolio. That is creating income, but the goal is to kind of grow the portfolio. And so most, if not all of that capital is going out and purchasing more deals and growing the portfolio. And it's kind of this whole snowball effect of the more deals you do, the more income it generates, the more deals you can do. And that's a neat thing for the portfolio Investor who doesn't need to live on the income.
0: Yeah, this is a really interesting strategy, and there's a real market for it, too, man. Like, You know, with our company, we found there are a lot of people with way more money than time. Right? They just don't have the time to do all the work themselves. So they're looking for the passive investments or they're putting teams in place or they're looking for people to run it for them. So these are the investors that just can't get involved in deals that require their time. Either they're VPs or they own their own business or their time is at a premium. But they're willing to invest in these businesses and invest in sharp people that can run those businesses. So I think this investment strategy is really for people with, you know, on the spectrum, the people with more money than time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it becomes a thing where you're looking at the bigger picture. And that can be fun. You know, it's like playing Monopoly. You've got this big portfolio of deals and you're running it and generating the income and trying to decide when you're gonna sell and so a, a very strategic place to pay. And one of the things that I do think is a con is that for these deals, you do have to have somebody that's on the ground. So it's fun to be the portfolio guy that's making these strategic decisions, but somebody needs to be involved in the day-to-day running and managing of these businesses. And there's no such thing as a completely passive deal. So there's stuff to do every single day to run that business. But when it comes to the very small things, a lot of times those are crucial for the business's survival. And more importantly, those are things that can slip through the crack if you're not kind of paying attention to that business. And over the long haul, what ends up happening is you don't have that strategic growth. As far as paying attention to where is this business going to be a year from now? And even for the smaller businesses, you want to pay attention to what's going on in the market. How are we ranking up against the competition? There are things that you have to take into consideration in order for there to be some longevity to these deals.
0: You mentioned it being harder to find these guys that will kind of run the business. So I'm an investor. I'm looking for someone that will just kind of run the business, will kind of continue to grow it, earn a piece. But really, I'm putting up all the money. So where the hell do I go to find that person? I'll tell you where you don't go. I've actually seen this. It was on a, you know the old ODesk, which now is called Upwork. There were ads out there that said, look – now, if you build a business, let's just say, for example, it makes $1,000 a month, you build a website for me, have it earn a $1,000 a month. If you can prove that it earns $1,000 a month over the next three months, then I'll buy it from you for $2,000. Well, that's that's not going to work, buddy. I mean, I see what <laughs> they're trying to do there, right? They're like, look, if you can build these businesses, I'd love to work with you. I'll invest with you. I'll buy these from you, but you're going to have to be a little more uh at risk than that. Now, the thing is, is that it's difficult because if you put an ad out there, everyone's gonna say they can do it, right? Sure, I'll do it. Yeah, you're gonna invest with me. Go ahead, and I think that becomes a difficult part. Where would you say, if you're an investor looking for someone to run these types of sites for you, where would you look?
2: Well, personally, I mean, I can tell you just what I do. I love investing in other folks that are doing deals. So a big part of what we do within the network is allow people to connect with each other. Like you said, there are different people that have different goals and are different places in their life. So we have a large group of folks that are those VPs like you mentioned. And I know you guys work with folks like that and they've got cash, but they don't have time. And so we can connect those folks with the hustlers that are on the ground. They're doing the deal. They're going to pour, you know, their time and their life into running a business. And it creates this win win situation. But one of the things that I wouldn't do is invest my cash in a deal where the person running it didn't have skin in the game.
0: Yeah, you want to make sure that they're involved, they've got the experience. I mean, not just some average Joe over the Internet, right? Sitting in his mom's basement promising you the world. I think a great way to meet up with people like this are through communities. I mean, obviously through your own network, right? If there are people that – you know people that know people that do this, then connect with them that way. But I also think like online communities or in-person communities where you get to know people and kind of learn their skill sets and find out what they're working on, I think that's a great way for you to connect in person, in real life. And see if there's a way that you know you guys can work together on these deals. So I've seen that be a an effective strategy.
2: Yeah, and I think the biggest key is knowing the person and not going out and just uh, <laughs> throwing money to people that you have no idea who they are. And it's so interesting, Jess. I know you can attest to this. I, we're just in a space right now where there is a lot of excitement about buying deals, and so people are doing pretty irrational things in some cases. And so, you know, you can have somebody like you mentioned with that ad or somebody who you connect with on Flipper. You have no idea who this other person is. They have no real track record. Yeah. You know, they have a persona. And they convince you to give them a ton of money to run a business. And, you know, just that kind of thing is what I would probably advise against. But I love that. Going to events, connecting with other people that run businesses like the type of business you want to invest in is powerful.
0: Yeah, they got things like Rhodium Weekend. They got other, you know, like kind of online entrepreneurial communities you can get involved in. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, just I've seen some crazy stuff going on in Warrior Form. Hey, I got, you know, fifty thousand dollars. Who wants to come, you know, work with me and build up a business or whatever. Well that's that's, you're gonna get a lot of crazy stuff. Have you ever (laughs) checked out like the forums over at BizBuySell or anything? It's amazing to me. As you see these crazy deals, I think they gotta be you know, like 419 scams, like the Nigerian print scams or something, because, like, they're over there talking about, you know, I've got $500,000 I'll put in. Like, none of those are real, right? they got to be all scammy, spammy stuff.
2: Yeah. And of course the, what usually I'm sure ends up happening with those is, you know, the first email is, okay, great. I've got this 500,000. Just send me 5,000 first and I'm going to wire it right to you. Right.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Crazy (laughs) stuff, man. All right, man. Let's get into our third model, which is flipping. So, flipping businesses, and this has kind of got a bad connotation over time. And so, being part of the Empire Flippers, let me defend the flipping a little bit. Let me get serious here with the flipping. All right. So, <laughs> we're not talking some kind of, you know, two months, three months, you're making a ton of money and you're just, it's really easy or anything like that. This is active, hard work. Like, it requires experience. It requires serious, you know, investment of your time and money, but it can also be. I think a quicker path to making more money, it's fairly high risk because you've constantly got money at work and at play and at risk, but you're also making faster deals. So I'd say you're looking at a minimum probably of six months. You're going to have to hold it, but a more realistic strategy would be anywhere from 18 months to three years in a flip, in an online business flip. Do you think that's about right, Ace?
2: Yeah, I think it can take some time. You know, we've had some flips that have been shorter But if you go in and you feel like, okay, I need this money in this short period of time or I have to flip it within this period of time because of something or I'm going to buy a house and that kind of thing. The key to making flipping work is having that flexibility so that you're able as the seller to be in the power position when you need to sell. You have given up power to the buyer because you need their money. So the real power and key is, you know, whether it is six months, whether it is 18 months, if that person comes along and it's a great price at six months, great. If you have to grow it and hold on to it and it takes 18 months, that's great as well.
0: I think it's interesting, you know, you mentioned you know, having to sell and being in kind of an awkward position because you really need the cash. I think it's kind of like that credit problem, right? Where like if you don't have any credit, how do I get credit? Because I don't have any credit and so it's hard (laughs) to get it. You know, it's similar with selling your business. If you need to sell your business, you're going to get lowballed and you're not going to be able to sell it for what you want. I think a really interesting thing, a strategy with this is to just always be in the game. So my business is always for sale. It's for sale today, it's for sale yesterday, it's for sale tomorrow. I'm always on the market. And you do that with all of your businesses. So all the businesses that you're holding, the websites you're controlling, they're always for sale. And you don't necessarily need to sell them, but they're up. And because you're in the space and because you're in the business, like everyone knows that. And so you can talk about it and let other people know that your sites are for sale or you've got this one coming up or whatever, and people are going to be interested. If people are looking for deals because they know you're doing those types of deals, they're going to come to you and say, hey, what you got? You know, What are you working on right now? You got anything that might be a good fit for me? So just being open to it and always being on the market or having your businesses be on the market, I think is a pretty good strategy.
2: Yes, I'm a big fan of that. And a lot of the reason I've been that way for a while is because of what happened with my very first business and learning that lesson. So now any business I own is always up for sale. So let's talk about some of the cons with this strategy. One of them is this is not a good idea If you're a newbie norm to borrow Empire Flipper terminology, you need some experience. You can't go out and try to start tinkering with your very first deal and not really know what you're doing. One of the downsides to this is that a lot of people do feel like this is easy and so they buy even a smaller site. It's like, you know, hey, this is a little $20,000 site. You know, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to make these changes. And I've just seen over and over where somebody gets in, they don't really have the experience or the real expertise, but they read a blog somewhere. and They're like, oh, if you own this kind of site, you should make this change and change these features and blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah and they get in and start to do that and the site you know gets deranked or they have this issue and all of a sudden they're not making as much money or no money and you know they have no one really to blame but themselves and so that's one of the things to keep in mind
0: do you think we as an industry do a bad job at that because you know you say like you know, they think that flipping is really easy. And so and that's being sold somewhere. Someone's telling them it's really easy to just buy and sell websites and you can just get in and do it. No problem. And that's not our message, right? I mean, I don't think it's that easy. It's pretty difficult and it's challenging. It does require some experience. So yeah. for, for someone that's looking to get into this, you know, they've got the one side, right? They're selling ebooks or whatever, telling them how easy it is and anyone can do it, whatever. And the other side, they have us and we're saying, no, it's not easy. require experience, but they want to get started. Right. They have no experience. They want to get started. What do they do? I mean, you have to just you know jump in at some point, right? And so you have to know that your money is going to be at risk. You know, there's a question as to whether you should do, you know, a big deal for your first deal, a small deal. I mean, I think a small deal is better because you're likely to make mistakes. I mean, Ace, you made some mistakes in your first deal. We made mistakes for sure. So I think a smaller deal kind of getting your feet wet and you're going to learn a lot just by doing it. You can't, you know, ebook your way to success here.
2: I agree. That's the biggest danger. And I think that's a lot of the folks that are selling that, oh, this is so easy. Just buy my ebook and you can flip your way to millions. <laughs> and they go in and try to take some of that advice. So that's absolutely one of the things that I would stay away from.
0: Yeah. One of the things I think when you're looking to sell your business, you're looking to flip your business is that when you're in the industry, you need to make sure that your financials are clean. You need to make sure that your ducks are in a row and that if you're going to have the I'm always open to sell strategy – then you have to be always at a point where you could sell, right? And I think that's one of the things that, you know, if you're running multiple businesses, sometimes you let things slack. You're, maybe your financials aren't quite in order. They're not in selling shape anyway, right? And so if you are planning to follow this strategy, that's something you're going to have on point. And you're going to have to have your team in place. You have to have your process in place and your financials in order to where you are in a position you could sell at any time.
2: And one of the things I would keep in mind with this, you know, we talk about, Always being up for sale. The nice thing about that is every month that you're in business and, you know, things are still going well, you're increasing the value of your assets. So that becomes more and more attractive. If you sell at 18 months as opposed to six months, that becomes more attractive because of the age of the site to potential buyers and especially if you've been able to show a consistent growth trend. So that's where I would put a lot of my focus in when you're using this strategy. And then when somebody does come, like you said, they've got the crystal clear financials, everything as far as due diligence is, is clean. You've been working and growing the business and it's a little older than before. And you know, from that standpoint, it is a simple strategy to go out and buy these things and grow them and, and sell them for more, but it's
0: not an easy strategy. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned like just age as being a factor in terms of valuation and being more attractive to a buyer. Well, especially I'd say in growing industries, this is doubly, triply true because just by being around and selling that product for a long enough time, every month that you're out there, you're going to get, you know, more people that have heard of you more people that know you're doing business. And literally, if you don't do anything else to grow it other than just sit there for six months, you're going to have more customers. You're going to have more people talking about your business. And that improves valuation simply because you're doing more deals. As long as you're not you know, giving a horrible experience to your customer or something,
1: you're just (laughs) doing
0: more deals, you're getting more experience, and you've been around longer. So not just the age of the site, but also the fact that you've been doing business and people have had a longer time to figure out what you're doing and find out who you are. All right, man, so let's start wrapping this up. Let's talk about a few additional strategies. I think one of the important things is to think beyond the acquisition of your first business, to think about which kind of strategy you want to apply to your mini mogul approach, right? Do you want to be the flipping guy? The guy that's very active, regularly buying and selling sites, always looking for deals, having their sites on the marketplace you know, all the time. Are you more of the, you know, portfolio builder investor? Are you the investor that invests in, you know, entrepreneurs that have their own businesses and you just kind of have your fingers in multiple pies? You know, are you buying passive deals and building a team for yourself? Or are you looking for the roll up strategy? Are you new and looking to buy your first one and then roll those profits? into the second one, into the third one, and continue to climb the value chain. You need to think about kind of, you know, which approach or which strategy seems to kind of fit in line with your goals and what you're looking to do.
2: Yeah, the very first thing is, you know, making sure that you're clear on who you are, how much experience you have, you know, which category of site is the best fit. And then making sure when you buy a business that in terms of your long-term strategy, if it is roll up, if there's going to be a different site than if you're flipping and you're looking for something with a lot of low-hanging fruit that you can grow. And so being clear about your strategy is important, but leveraging that into the site that's going to fit into that strategy is just as important when you're buying multiple businesses, like what most people, like you said, I mean, most of the folks I work with are buying multiple businesses. I know, you know, like you mentioned, over half the folks that you guys work with are buying multiple businesses. One of the powers of each one of these is the fact that you can diversify. And that is just, you know, everybody knows in the stock market and, and everything, but it's just a very simple principle That the more you diversify, the more your risks go down. And just like we talked about, diversification is dynamic in this space. So You're talking about traffic diversification, income, source diversification, you know, obviously type of site diversification. So those are some of the things to consider as well.
0: Yeah, I'd also mention to you that these things aren't mutually exclusive, right? At one point, you may be a flipper. At another point, you're taking the investor approach. So, and there may be phases that you go through where you're one more than the other, and on certain deals, you maybe you know take on one role and the other. But I think it's important to understand the different roles, especially as you continue to grow out your online portfolio and become a online mogul.
1: Thanks for listening to The Web Equity Show. Now is your chance to be a part of the action. Go to www.webequityshow.com slash gift and send us your business acquisition or exit question and have it answered on the show.